very far short of his record of 76 hot dogs, but still a really breathtaking feat. Uh, so there's a there's a sense, as I, I think everyone's talking about now, of uh, people getting back on their feet, going out, celebrating more, going to the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Competition, uh, which was completely pack, packed last year. The streets are just aligned, lined with people. Uh, the year before, it was held in a stadium and was a bit lower key, but still great and exuberant and fun. And I often, to be honest, hesitate in uh, participating in things like that just because it seems like so much. I don't have FOMO. I have the opposite of FOMO, I'd like to say. I have IDGAF. Um, but maybe this is something I can work on because it's fun to get out there and, and, and count hot dogs and socialize with people and, and drink beer and, and enjoy yourself. Um, and obviously I support the idea of people going out and eating and drinking more. Uh, as does... Uh, my guest this week, or rather my guests, two guests this week, uh, Sean and Holly McLean, who operate restaurants in Detroit and Las Vegas, and they have some interesting perspectives on how the uh, those two cities have uh, recovered uh, and different approaches to how they run their restaurants. Uh, I guess I could go into more details about what they do, but why don't I just let you listen to them? Because here now are Sean and Holly McLean. Now, you were in Chicago for a long time, right? Long time. 20 years. Yep. Really kind of started my career there uh, with culinary school at Kendall. Um, went on to be a chef and partner of Trio Restaurant, where Grant Ackett's, uh was my uh, predecessor. No, I guess he was post me, so I'm not sure that's the opposite of predecessor. Um, um, and then opened my first restaurant, Spring, in 2001. Um, but followed the family back here to Michigan, where Holly has roots. We've been here, um, geez, 12 years now, I think. So you've been there for more than 10 years, and how how is detroit because it's not it's it's one it's a big city but it has not been on the culinary radar for whatever reason except for its style of pizza for a long time so yeah what's going on there well there's a lot i don't know how you want to start or i can start well i just i think the detroit that i grew up in there really wasn't a culinary scene at all um, and I would say in the last 10 years since we've moved back here, we've watched things grow. We've watched some hotels come to the area. We've watched um, some restaurants kind of back in what Sean would say was like the early days when we were in Chicago. Um, just a lot of new stuff kind of coming on right now. So I think we jumped in at a good time. I always wanted to move back and do something here. And I think the city's at a great spot right now where there's a lot of stuff going on downtown. It's exciting. Yeah, I mean, from an outsider's perspective and coming from Chicago, and like Holly said, I mean, really just in COVID, which, you know, I can't kind of understate the impact to the city it had. Um, and and conversely, Vegas um, had a huge impact, but Vegas bounced back 
incredibly quickly, incredibly fast, faster. Um, but there was a lot of momentum here pre-COVID. Um, you know, when we were looking for spots, uh, talking to real estate brokers, talking to people in the industry, there was a lot of internal interest, <clears throat> a lot of people coming back home where Detroit was home. They had spent time in New York, Chicago, L.A., wanted to kind of bring back their, you know, expertise and, and do it and, and bring it back home. Uh, and so it, it really had a ton of like just momentum and energy in downtown. And Dan Gilbert um, has obviously put in a lot of money into the city um, it, real estate wise. So it just kind of stabilized downtown. Um, but COVID really kind of was a big blow to the solar plexus of the city. Um, and now we're finally, you know, two years on kind of seeing that momentum get a little bit more traction again. Um, but there are some great restaurants in this town, uh, people that have, you know, started pre-COVID, kind of lasted COVID. Um, you know, I'd say a younger generation, uh, uh, again, um, are trying to make their mark on the city, you know, doing their first successful place, expanding into two and three uh, concepts. Um, but, you know, really super good food. And um, I think even with some of the beer nods locally and ultimately not any winners, but um, I think over the last couple of years, definitely a lot more recognition um, and a lot more attention paid to, to what they're doing. Uh, great. And so you are, as you indicated, you're in, in two cities. You have restaurants in two cities. You're in Detroit and Las Vegas. Um, and Las Vegas does seem to have bounced back really well. And Detroit is moving along. So to, uh, please tell our audience all of the different irons you have in the fire. What what kind of what are your restaurants now that you currently Yeah, so at? currently in Detroit, uh, we have um Highlands, which we opened uh, just pre-COVID 2019, late 2019, which we occupy the 71st and 72nd floors of the General Motors uh, Renaissance Center. So their world headquarters, we have the top two floors, kind of a storied uh, location, which housed two previous restaurants. Um, and we really wanted to kind of take that, um, turn it upside down, kind of get away from just the typical top of the tower experience. Uh, really make it about food and service and and have the view just a an exceptional just you know uh, bonus uh, to a great dining experience. Um, so we've actually built a private event on a private event center on seventy two. Um, we call it kind of a reimagined uh, contemporary steakhouse uh, prefix menu. Um, definitely you know more focused on refinement uh super seasonal um and then you know a, as the steak and the, the steakhouse moniker would would indicate a a really big meat program um and then uh holly opened and i opened uh olin restaurant uh which is uh, we opened and built during covid which was as you can imagine super challenging <laughs> um but uh a great kind of a american brasserie uh downtown detroit right next to the old Hudson site. So we are really kind of uh, epicenter of downtown right off of Campus Marshes and Woodward Avenue. Um, and we've had that uh, now going on three years. And then in Las Vegas, uh, Libertine Social at Mandalay Bay, uh, which we are now in our seventh year, uh, which is our 
you know, or we're having our best year, which is which is fantastic, and just really an indication to uh, kind of the city coming back. Um, just you know uh, how successful the restaurant has been. Uh, the addition to the stadium across the street, uh, the Raider Stadium down on the south end of the Strip, which has been great for us. Um, but American, we call it kind of an elevated gastro pub, really a broad menu um, from from a great burger to some great steaks. Um, and then we just opened recently Bala, uh, Italian Soul, which is, uh, as the name indicates, um, kind of regional Italian, uh, which we kind of focus a little bit more on Southern, um, definitely not a traditional red sauce, um, but really handcrafted, uh, top to bottom, uh, ingredient wise, uh, super seasonal. Uh, we have an exceptional, exceptional chef there, Michael Vargas, who spent time, uh, in Carbone, um, and some time in Vegas great, great technician, uh, just a great person. Um, and we just opened that in, in late, uh, last year. So we're just, you know, six months into that restaurant and on the horizon, we're doing a, a wine bar and wine retail shop called Wino, which is W I N E A U X, which is going to be off strip, um, at a new development called uncommons, which is Southwest corner of Las Vegas. Um, just, you know, what we see is a great develop, number one, to a little bit of an underserved uh, area. Um, but just, uh, you know, as a, as a tangent point, just, you know, what has happened off strip uh, in the last five to eight years in Vegas is, is incredible. Um, great restaurants, great attention to, you know, people, you know, when we first got there in 09, there really wasn't much. Uh, off strip um there were a few local hangs and and faves but um now i mean even look at some you know roundup lists and you see hey what's hot in vegas what you know you see a lot of them are off strip which is which is great to see it's great for the community um the community is booming with you know the infusion of sports and just all the entertainment things right now yeah las vegas keeps growing as i understand it in terms of population <laughs> yeah. so now there's a critical mass, it seems, of local customers who uh, can can support things off strip. And I would imagine don't often go to the strip, just like in New York, we don't go to Times Square. Although let's so. I'm sure they go to, to the strip sometimes. And New Yorkers, we only go to Times Square to see Broadway shows. That's about it. You no, know, uh, funny you say that we we ventured up to Times Square with the girls just on an evening walk, and it was a little overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, I actually had family who were in town, and so we went to see a show. We saw some like it hot, and it was great. But they, yeah, they didn't really enjoy walking up Broadway very much because it's a lot. Yeah, it was it was crazy. Which is, you know, a good sign of, you know, the return of Broadway and tourism and so on, which is obviously something that we all love. Yeah, 100%, 100%. So how do you divide your time between Detroit and Las Vegas? Do, do you have a lot of frequent flyer miles? I have a ton, yeah. And I see a smirk from Holly. Yeah, I, uh, you know, it really kind of depends month to month. But, um, you know, it's, I, I think a part of me likes to be a part of projects and part of um, knowing uh, staffs and and knowing the, the workings as much as I can. Um, so there's a lot of communication uh, day to day, but, you know, I try to get out there um, 
you know, twice a month. Um, I try to make my trips a little bit shorter. I think when they, our daughters were a little younger, I, I spent longer stretches out there and we've lived out there a few different times. We lived out there for a year when we first went out there in 09 and different stretches of, of months at a time for openings. Um, so, you know, the girls are a little bit, they're 14 and 12. So they're a little bit more, they have their things and we have, you know what I mean? A, a lot more uh, responsibility on that, on that front um, for their schedules. But uh, I do, I I'm heading out Monday and I'll be there till Thursday um, and probably be out there a couple weeks later. So um there's never enough time, you know, it's, it's definitely cliche because I would love to spend all the time in each of the restaurants. Cause I, I, I do love them. But you have four and there's only two of you. Yep. Yep. Uh, so Olin is the newest one or is Bala then I guess Bala is the, Bala is the newest. Yep. Okay. And then Olin you worked on during COVID. Why, why did you do that? <laughs> we that that was happening. It started it just before COVID, so it was just coincidental that that happened right in the middle of our building. Um, and at that point, we just had to keep going. Yeah, like the ink was probably already dry on the lease or whatever, and you just had to like keep going. It was, it was, and you know, we I think we knew we just loved the space so much. A uh, 4,000 square foot space, which was you know sandwiched in a lot of um big business owned downtown. Um, but it was owned by a guy who's kind of a, a peer of ours, uh, who has a family who has a jazz club, just not your typical landlord. Um, and we really loved him. And, uh, funny enough, the space was an old puppet theater, um, had been run as a puppet theater for some, you know, a decade by an old Russian couple. So, um, as we took that over, you know, it was one of those places that people, oh, this was the old puppet theaters, you know what I mean? Which is, on one hand was kind of creepy, <laughs> so, but, uh, but, but charming nonetheless. Um, but just, you know, one of those rare finds of great spaces that ultimately are in the center of downtown, um, and, and are really surrounded by corporate or surrounded, not corporate, but surrounded by more business and, uh, taller buildings and this is just a little two-story building so so you had to then install an entire kitchen and all of that right yes that entire is we also have um kind of an, another element to the restaurant which my daughter is in working there right now we have a walk-up window in the alley we're behind a hotel and there's a pedestrian alley and we have a walk-up window uh, called Better Half where we do grilled cheese sandwiches and cocktails to go. Nice. So that comes off of the side of the building too. Just an additional concept. I would like a Bloody Mary with my grilled cheese sandwich. Do you have <laughs> We can definitely do that. Yeah. That sounds great. And so, and then Highlands is interesting because as you indicated, most, uh, high up restaurants are view only and then you know marginal food but yep. you like doing actually hardcore food there and and yeah steakhouse right yeah yeah and i you know i think we we leaned really heavy into the the steakhouse pre-covid um as our opening and we actually had a, a secondary concept up there called hearth 71 um, so if you can picture the tower is uh, circular. Um, so we basically have two donut shapes um, 
which, you know, 360 degree view of, of the Detroit uh, skyline, uh, Windsor, Canada skyline, the Detroit River, uh, quite, quite beautiful, obviously, from a view perspective. Um, but the secondary uh, Heart 71, which we shuttered post-COVID, uh, is, a, is a separate part of the restaurant, which was a little bit more casual. It really captured the business of the building. Uh, there was a daily population of 13,000 people in the building pre-COVID. That has come back to about 2,500. So you can imagine that's... <laughs> that is good. Yeah, it's it's quite different. Um, and so we're kind of holding that space. It's it's acting as our, you know, kind of lounge carryover and for private events currently. Um, but really, we wanted to serve kind of... Um, we wanted an experience in Highlands. We wanted something, hey, if you want to come up, come to the bar, grab a burger, cocktail. Um, we wanted that experience to kind of be expanded and, and really, you know, um, you know, non-barrier to entry. We didn't want to be the one. It's our anniversary every five years and we're going to head up to Highlands and have dinner. We really wanted it to be, you know, just super attractive um and and sticky uh to that to that end and uh it's been it's proven to be very successful and um we've modified into a kind of two parts of the menu we do prefix for 85 dollars, which is three course um but within those three courses anywhere from five to eight choices so it's a pretty broad um and that's you know post-covid that's been really um it, just a great formula and it was it's really taken off with the clientele um and initially it was just kind of like post-covid this is what we're going to do for a little while we have limited staff we have this and kind of a focused idea uh and it's it's actually just gone so well that we've just kind of kept with it and expanded it um and i, I think it works really well for the guests and then we also have a uh steak book which we call reserve steak book so we we're doing you know, just some beautiful stuff. We, we have a butcher in house. Um, you know, we may have two or three or four uh, of certain things uh, that we bring in. Once they're gone, they're gone. Uh, we do a lot of aging, um, interesting aging, red wine aging, lard aging. We age foie gras, ducks. Uh, we age some fish, um, which was something new to us that we had um, uh, kind of studied a little bit. Um, but uh, very interesting um, and really cool technique uh, that we're incorporating now. Um, so it's just, it's been fun. And we just, you know, we, you know, at, at its core, we just never wanted to just kind of just, you know, oh, it's a great view. You know, the, the rest we can just kind of mail in. And um, and I think we're getting rewarded for that. That's great. Where where do you age your stuff? Do you have an aging room up there on the? Uh, not aging room. We have cabinets, so they're they're visible to the dining rooms. So they're a great, you know, conversation piece. Um, uh, so yeah, they they face the dining room. Um, so it can be anything. I mean, it's obviously predominantly beef um, that we're doing, and just some beautiful stuff from some Michigan farms, some out west farms, uh, Australian stuff. Um, I think a really cool steak we bring in um, uh, two from Australia are vintage. Um, and so they are uh, older cattle, uh, older cows. Um, and when I first kind of heard about it and we talked about it and bring them in, I 
I, I, I was suspect. I just thought, you know, and they are so good. Um, and so we do a vintage ribeye and a filet and flavors outstanding. And, and the price point's good. It's, you know, I mean, it's, you know, from some of the, you know, domestic prime or some of that stuff, which can get really, really pricey. Um, uh, they, it comes in at a great price and it's one of my like favorite things to recommend uh, off the menu. Yeah, there are a couple of trends that you you mentioned that are cool and happening. Uh, the aging of the fish and the vintage cattle. I don't think I've ever heard it called vintage before, but yeah, older cattle. Yeah, are, yep. are these like uh, old dairy cows that are then uh, butchered and, and the middle meats are, are aged rather than being ground up into hamburger or is it something else? No, they're just, they're just, they're, I mean, they're, they're beef cattle, um, but they're just, yeah, they're aged longer. So, I mean, I think typically, geez, it's shocking sometime how quickly cows come to age and are, are um, brought to market. But I think these average five to seven years. Oh. Um, oh. And I'd have to confirm that, but that that's the way that I remember it. Um, so considerably older um, than, a, than a typical, you know, commodity uh, steer. And since they're Australian, they're probably grass finished. And yes. um, yep. which, so how is a grass finished five ish year old steer from Australia? How is that different from the typically grain finished stuff that we're used to in the United States? Well, I think, uh, I mean, grass finished and great. Um, I mean, typically, I'm not a huge fan, you know. I love the idea, yeah. <laughs> but uh, the re the reality is, I've just really never loved that that style of meat. Um, they're just in whether that's just growing up in a palate that you've just become accustomed to. I'm not sure, but um, you know, I just think that just ultimately, there's there's, I mean, they're they're not there's enough fat, but it's not overly fatty. It's not like wagyu, or you don't see that kind of marbling in it. Um, but I think it's just more developed flavor, but it's not the on the wild side. It's not on the the grassy field side. Um, it's just on the beef side, you know, um, and I, I think it's just it blends a good thing because I'm, I'm, you know, I definitely don't like the grassier side. I don't love like the irony side of, a you know, sometimes of a flat iron or something like that. Um, but it's like that good balance um, texture is fantastic. Um, but it just, it just eats really, really well from a texture perspective and just kind of a developed flavor. So it tastes beefier. It, it does. It does. But with, but not too beefy. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I've had occasionally, um, aged dairy cattle, which is then, uh, it's a really different eating experience from, from a typical steak. Cause it is kind of gamey. Yeah. So yeah, we are not used to. Yeah, yeah, and palates just really aren't, and and we really see that. Um, you know, so we, yeah, we definitely we love to recommend, and you know, even when we do like bavettes and um, like uh, wagyu skirt steaks, and that's another one which I just you know, if you buy a skirt steak from a typical restaurant or from the market it's usually not very good you know but you get a wagyu skirt and you're like wow how have i not had the steak before um and 
that's another one that we'd love to bring in when we can get them and and then just kind of expose uh, people to them. What what kind of Wagyu do you use? Uh, well, we use, uh, it kind of depends. It, it depends, uh, a lot of Australian uh, and some of the stuff out of uh, Idaho uh, in the West, um, Snake River. Um, so it really kind of, it kind of depends um, what's available and, and what's good and what's recommended kind of in from our butcher and, um, we, we just love to give him kind of free reign and gives us market reports weekly and kind of lets us know and takes care of the coolers for us. So that's great. Yeah. It's, it sounds like uh, he is making use of that free reign and finding really interesting cuts of beef, which yep. I yep. bet your, your customers really appreciate. Yeah, absolutely. And how, how about uh, aged fish? What kind of fish are you aging there? So we were doing uh, snappers primarily. Um, so the both East Coast and some some Pacific snappers, uh, generally right around three to four days. Um, you know, there's a, there was always that um, aspect from chef's perspective before. And again, when I first heard about this, you know, and Holly probably when she thinks of aging fish cringes. <laughs> She's like, no, that's not what you do with fish. But um you know, for us, uh, originally, it was just uh, like, how can we get that skin as dry as possible to just get as crispy? And you know what I mean? When you really get that time with open air. Um, but, you know, there's just the process like meat that there's just a natural, you know, denigration of of some of the fibers and, and some of the things within the flesh um, that, you know, under the right circumstances and humidity and temperature that, you know, it's it's not spoiling. It's just kind of changing some of the internal structure of the fish. And, um, but I think that three to four days is kind of for us, kind of that sweet spot. Um, and that's kind of what we've rotated through. Um, but, you know, I, I can't, you know, to be honest, I don't know how much we promote it because I think as a concept, <laughs> people just say, Hey, that was great fish. And we're like, great. <laughs> yeah. It was sitting in our fridge for five yeah. days. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, I mean, it is, it's a Japanese process. I mean, they've been doing it for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Used to hearing. Yeah. And we've done and, stuff with, you know, whether it's Koji coated or Nori coated and, you know, some of those cures, you know, over 24, 48 hours. But this is the first time we actually, you know, hung fish in the box and kind of just let it, you know, do its thing by itself. And I, I haven't had a lot of aged fish, but as I understand it, it kind of actually mellows out the flavor rather than intensifying it. I think that's fair. Yeah. And and I imagine tenderizes it a bit because some of the stuff breaks down. It does. And it depends on the fish. I mean, I think fish in general are going to be fairly soft and fairly flaky, depending on how how the cook time is on it or the on the method. But um but yeah, I think it's it's naturally going to just change, you know, the, the texture a, a little bit. And so how about at Olin, apart from the uh, grilled cheese and cocktail window, which I now want on every street corner in America, uh, <laughs> what's going on there? There is no fish that's aging here. <laughs> <laughs> we want it crispy, we'll put it in the deep fryer. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, we... We are kind of still new, I think, in Sean and I's opinion, you know, when we, we opened and we closed and we opened and closed through COVID. So 
Um, we're just we're kind of just finding our place right now in Detroit. Um, we have a great menu right now, kind of something for everybody, uh, American brasserie style. Uh, we just opened our patio for the season, so we're seeing a lot of action there. We, we're just, I would say, we're just having fun over here at this point right now, trying to you know, just secure our spot downtown. Uh, we have a great, like Sean said earlier, we have a great location right off of Woodward, which is the main street downtown Detroit. Um, we see a lot of action from Lions games, Tigers, the Red Wings concerts. Um, we we are running an awesome brunch as well, which we do Saturday and Sundays. This weekend is our first Saturday brunch, um, and that's been a big hit as well. So, and yeah. what? Sorry, go ahead, Sean. No, I was just going to say, menu wise, I mean, I think we really tried to capture. You know, the feeling, I, I think the menu, and, and we can definitely uh, have Kelly send you one, but, um, you know, we've got a fair amount of starters. Uh, it kind of, we kind of laid it out like a, a, a brasserie menu, and even to the point originally where we had every day was a different special, um, you know, a daily plot. Um, we've kind of updated that a little bit. We still do a daily, um, but we don't rotate the same ones every time. Um, but you know, early on, I think there was a fair amount of Spanish influence. Uh, we ran paellas, um, we ran whole fish, whole chicken. We did some tagines on on the features, uh, but currently we have everything from you know uh, a mushroom pate, which was a favorite uh, at our restaurant Green Zebra in Chicago, which was a early vegetarian uh, back in the day um, that we ran for fifteen years in Chicago, um, but we brought that dish. Um, to uh, Bravas potatoes and, and crispy artichokes. So it's kind of a little bit of a Spanish style uh, appetizer. Um, we do some handmade pastas. Uh, we have a great burger, which, um, you know, we tend not to promote because it sells itself, right. um, but uh, it has been, you know, a, a fan favorite. Um, uh, up to steak frites, so kind of a, a an ode um, to kind of the French uh, style of that side. So kind of cover the bases European-wise, um, uh, but still kind of American writing, American, you know, ingredients. We're in the Midwest. Um, so we, again, we want it to read easy, super gettable, um, come in, you know what I mean? And that that's really, we wanted to feel like we've been there 15 years. Uh, and just be that neighborhood spot um, and and keep menu changes to a point where it's it's not a different menu every time you come in um, and keep some kind of the base core foundations there and then just kind of rotate things in and around that. Why did you decide, or, or maybe you didn't decide, maybe it just happened, but why do you think you ended up going in a Spanish direction to to begin with, with, with some of the starters? You know, it's interesting. We are our, our opening chef, uh, Andrew and I, you know, when we were kind of conceptualizing the menu and I wrote the initial menu, he had a lot of Spanish background in Chicago. Um, and so I think a lot of things would just start to lean in there ingredient wise. Um, and, and honestly, you know, this was kind of a, a I don't know if it's a love hate thing, but when we did the day 
Ellie Plotz, Paia was our Sunday night. Um, and we were like, hey, we can't switch this every day. Like, hey, Paia was successful. Let's do that. And so it became a nightly feature, which was great. Um, but as you do, you know, Paia is a distinctly Spanish dish and it was outstanding. Um, but you know, people, the guests start to be like, oh, this is a Spanish restaurant. And we're like, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. <laughs> you know what I mean? We, we we need to pull back the reins just a little bit on that. And so we kind of pulled it back to the weekdays. And then ultimately, uh, we are just going to feature it on certain nights um, because we didn't want it to be defining. And, you know, in a guest perspective, a dish like that can be really defining to a restaurant. Um, it's a great dish. We love it. Um, you know, my my family actually lived in Spain when I was a boy. Um, so there was some Spanish, early Spanish, uh, European influence in my house. Um, so I, I've always had an affinity for it, but uh, I think for us, we're just kind of trying to balance it back out. French, Italian, kind of general, you know, European sensibilities uh, kind of fit to the American market. Makes sense. Um, we're about out of time, mm -hmm. but I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, going prefix for Highlands, which is another trend that I'm seeing certainly that it it seems to really help kind of simplify operations, manage costs and and all of that. is that is that sort of why you you stuck with that? I think I've lost you. Yeah, I think you guys may have lost me. Oh, are you there? Yes. Yeah, I think I freeze. Yeah, I keep getting frozen. I mean, every minute it freezes on my end. Yeah. Sorry, Brett. Um, yeah, I mean, to answer your question, 100% coming out of COVID, it was, you know, finding people to work. We just had a core, you know, group of, of you know, basically chefs and myself. And we just thought, how can we come out of this and really control, you know, a fairly big operation? Um and and kind of focus it um and the prefix was was really worked well for that um you know i think the one thing we've just always tried to be as conscious about is just keep giving enough choice because ultimately that's one of the hard things when people just feel like they're like there's not something for everybody and that that's hard within five or six or seven choices within a menu to make sure you're kind of hitting and you know i think we've are still learning, learning that because, um, you know, there is, there is a guest who is not a super, you know, big diner, a foodie, you know, um, comes up, just says, Hey, we want a view. We want it. This is a special night. We just, you know what I mean? And we want to make sure we knock it out of the park for them. But even if, you know, their tastes are fairly simple. And I, and I think we've always, you know, um, at the end of the day, we want guests to be happy, whatever they want, you know what I mean? And and we've always kind of stood by the, the yes mentality. And um, so it is a process to try to navigate, to find that right balance um, of having enough dishes for everybody um, at a price point. And $85 is, I, I think, you know, in this day and age, um, you know, somewhere in the middle, it's definitely not, you know, there, there are a lot higher there are some low, but it still commands attention for people to be like, I'm committing to dinner. I'm committing to a higher check average. And so expectations are immediately higher walking in the door. 
Um, so we have to accept that. And, and that's one of our things to be like, how can we, you know, from, from top to bottom, you know, satisfy uh, and make everybody have a great guest experience. And so um, it's always a learning and, and, and part of growing uh, the restaurant. So you mentioned saying yes to your customers, which certainly is something that customers appreciate and that makes sense. Has that gotten easier to do as you've matured as a chef? You've been doing this for a long time. <laughs> I'm not saying you were ever immature, but... but... Yeah, what, 100%. Um, I, I've always been generally, if I can do it, I'll do it. Um, that's It's always kind of been my mantra. And I try to teach uh, those, uh, you know, anybody I mentor that, Hey, you know, if it takes us a few extra minutes to do it, it's not, it's not an insult to what we're trying to do. It's not, you know, it just people want what they want. And if we can do it, we can do it. And, and, you know, is there an occasional eye roll? Sure. Or is there occasional like, yeah, all right, this is, this is a little harder to, to do, but, um, at the end of the day, again, if we have the ability to do it, we'll do it. Um, but you know, younger, you know, we've had some chefs that get a little feisty about it, you know, and it just, it is, it's just kind of teaching the message and just saying, Hey, let's, let's make them happy, you know, and that, that's all that really ultimately matters. Yes. You might be the chef, but it's not all about you. Yes. <laughs> uh, great. Holly, do you have anything you would like to add before we wrap up? How are you doing over there at Olin? <laughs> I'm doing all right. Sorry, I had a couple emergencies with with my daughter. <laughs> We're doing great over here. No, I'm good. I'm good. I think Sean uh, Sean said a lot and a lot of great things that I echo. So, um, you know, we're we're a team at at home and at work. So we're definitely on the same page with all that. That's beautiful. That's it's nice to hear. And I want to thank you. The, the enforcer, though. <laughs> 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 that, that may be true yes <laughs> someone's got to do it yes yeah. well thanks both of you for hanging out with me for a while uh congratulations on uh detroit coming back and up and rolling i i yeah maybe someday there will be more occupancy in your in your building but i don't know we'll see yeah i think it's a I think it's slowly coming back and we definitely see even month to month, more and more action downtown. So the process, but it's, you know, it's got great bones. The city's a great community. Um, you know, we're in the Midwest, we're around food, we get food and I think people really enjoy that. So um, I think only good things to come, but please let us know if you're ever in the market or if you're ever in Vegas, please reach out. We'd love to look after you and have you in. Awesome. I would love that. All right. Thanks a lot to both of you.